0: Are you ready to learn how to apply your products? As you know, my one-on-one sessions are geared towards your customized skin recipe. It's kind of like the cake recipe. What to do at home, what to do in the clinic with ongoing support based on your skin needs, values, budget, lifestyle, and much more. My Skin Camp programs are really fun because this is where I teach my expert level tutorials, including how to apply your products, how to do facial gua sha lymphatic drainage alongside your skincare routine, makeup, hair care, at-home peels, as well as pre-post recovery tips and my highly coveted dermal rolling demo with advanced protocols. Register now for Fall Skin Camp over at theschoolofradiance.com. We begin very soon. Don't miss out. Attend the lessons live or catch the replay at your convenience. Head on over to theschoolofradiance.com and enjoy today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Betsy Greenleaf. You're coming to us all the way from New Jersey. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Rachel, for having me here today.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. I'm thrilled to have you join us. In the first episode, I really want you to share with us what it was like becoming the first board-certified female urogynecologist in the United States. That is a pretty big deal. It's
1: funny because I sometimes forget that I am the first and it, it seems like it was just a natural progression of how I went through medical school and training, but there definitely were some challenges being in a male-dominated field. I found that I had to work almost twice as hard as everybody else just to prove myself, whether you know I actually had to do that or if it was more of an internal thing that was driving me to show that I could do it just as much as the boys. Um, The other thing that would be funny is not only was I studying the urogynecology, but I was also trying to fit in with everyone. And you'd come in on a Monday morning, people would be talking about the football games that just happened on Sunday. And I knew nothing about sports at that point in time. So I spent a lot of time actually studying sports so that I could have something in common with my male colleagues and be able to discuss with them. Things like sports and just other things that they tended to to give them like a bonding. I had to kind of work to, to do that also. That's
0: great. That's really interesting you shared that because when I grew up, I actually preferred male friends. I realized at a really young age that my friends in elementary school, they were all like, you're my best friend. No, you're my best friend. And I just found that hanging out with the guys was way more fun and then I grew up riding dirt bikes and playing electric guitar and, you know, kind of getting into more male-dominated activities. But what's really interesting is that As I got older, I learned sort of how to balance that out with the feminine and masculine. In your experience with the lack of female role models, during your time of undergoing your urogynecology certification, which is definitely a male-dominated profession, how did you find balance between your masculine and feminine sides?
1: I think it was just that I found from the masculine side that I found this inner toughness. And that I could look at any of my colleagues and see the long hours that they were putting in and the just the excessive strain and stress of training in um, the medical field. And I it kind of gave me that inner toughness and gave me more, more motivation to work twice as hard. So in urogynecology, your, in your I didn't notice it as much. I actually started off in the general surgery field, and that was even more difficult because there were even less role models in general surgery, female role models in general surgery than there were in the gynecological fields. So it, it became, it just, I think it was very stra- stressful and strenuous, and it just, I don't know. It motivated me more to work even harder to kind of prove to myself that I could do it.
0: Mm-hmm. When you were in that very masculine way of being, did it feel easy to stay balanced? Or did you kind of make up for it later? Or what are you like now? I
1: think probably at that time, there wasn't as much balance because I you know I felt like I had to prove myself. I think there were a lot of times where especially anybody who gets into medicine, we usually put ourselves last and mm-hmm. put everybody else before us, which can be a very Tolling on the system. You know, you spend a lot of time dedicating yourself to your patients. You're not sleeping right. You're not eating right. You're not drinking. And you're supposed you're- to be the health
0: role model over here as a physician.
1: Yeah. And I think in all day long, you're talking to people about taking care of themselves. And at the end of the day, you don't realize it because you're just on the go, on the go and that you're not, you're not taking care of yourself. So I think That also has to do a little bit with maturity and also a little bit of almost hitting, hitting a wall where your body's not going to let you do that forever. And you almost are forced at some point to be like, wait a minute, stop. I have to take care of myself because if I don't take care of myself, I'm not going to be able to take care of my patients or take care of my family.
0: Mm -hmm. Did you ever experience a time where you just got, your body just went in
1: shutdown mode? You know, (laughs) during training, there were times where, especially in general surgery training, where at that point in time in the United States, in the probably like early 2000s, we didn't have work hour restrictions. So there was a weekend where I worked 120-something hours straight with probably a total of like six hours of sleep. And there were times where you just... You, you can't physically do that. So I had times where I'd be sitting there writing out my notes in the in the patient's charts and just literally fall asleep on the desk on top of the chart and just um I've seen colleagues like fall asleep and this is terrible but in the middle of surgery I've you know they weren't the ones performing the surgery but they might have been like holding an instrument and I've seen them like fall asleep just because your body just can't do that at long periods of time and thank God now the in the medical field there are work hour restrictions and I think that was because of you start having medical errors or people falling asleep when they're driving or people falling asleep. You know, their body just shutting down in in the hospital and then falling asleep, you know, almost standing up.
0: You must have been really happy to see that shift with the health promotion being placed back on the physicians in training.
1: Yeah, it's funny because you think these are the people that are making recommendations. We're the people that are supporting health and wellness, and yet we're not the ones taking care of ourselves and we're pushing it and you know so it is a big shift and especially you know I think worldwide people recognize in the medical field recognize that you know you have to be healthy yourself to be able to take care of anybody else
0: absolutely self-care first and foremost you got to do it yourself because no one is going to do it for you
1: Yes, definitely
0: yeah I definitely preach that one that's a big one how did it make you feel to become the first female urogynecologist ever in the U.S. how did you feel it, when you got that
1: you know it was actually very exciting because to be the first of anything is just amazing you think you know it's the 2000s, like how can you be the first in doing anything? Like, everybody's done everything before. How can there be still be a first? And you know, with urogynecology or, or female pelvic medicine, it was a uh, discipline that started in the 70s, and so it's a really pretty new medical field. But there was a long time coming to actually become board certified so not only being the first uh, female urogynecologist but actually being part of the whole process of developing the testing and helping create that has been so important and actually almost creating it as a separate identifiable specialty because once you're board certified it kind of gives you validation that you know you're you're You've been doing the right thing, and now and now you're rewarded with this ignition too, as becoming the first. So it is pretty pretty exciting.
0: That's wonderful. What would you say your driving force
1: was? You know, I think I. Just really loved what I was doing, and so the field itself, and pelvic health, and pelvic medicine, which is really overlooked a lot. You know, especially women think that growing older and things that happen to their body is is just they think, oh, this is normal. This is hat this happens to everybody, and people don't talk about it. So, I, I think my passion for women's health and and pelvic health was really kind of what started it. And then to be on the forefront of developing um, this test and validating the field, and it just kind of all came together and just wrapped up everything so nicely. Um, I think my motivation was once I realized that I was going to be one of the first, it was even, even more exciting to try to get that test taken and and become part of it and and just you know I guess we started the process of developing the test in 20 and in 2006 and we actually it was a long road and in trying to fit that in amongst everything else you're doing with running a practice and having a family it it, it took a long time so it's very exciting to actually finally complete it and get everything done by 20 by 2012 so it was it was just Enlightening.
0: How did you celebrate?
1: You know what? I think I celebrated by going to sleep (laughs) because you know that that testing process and being on the being an examiner and giving the test is almost so much is so much easier than being the recipient. Um, And even though I knew, I mean, you didn't know. I didn't know the questions I was going to be asked. I knew the process, but even knowing the process didn't prepare me so there was i think a lot of stress walking into that exam room and it's an oral exam so you i had to sit in front of two colleagues who i knew in front of them had a list of questions and not only that but they had my my, my cases you had to you had to create almost like a book of cases of different um, medical conditions you've treated and they sit and go through your book and they start questioning, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And you have to sit there and defend what you did and how you did it and defend the science. And, and then also there's a monitor and there's someone sitting in the back of the room that's watching you take the test to make sure the test is being administered the proper way. There's a lot of, a lot of stress. So I think, like after that test, I think we went, had a couple drinks, went out for dinner and then sleeping was the big thing. Did you sleep for about a like, week? <laughs> I think I slept for a week, you know, slept for a week straight probably after that. So, yeah,
0: that's really exciting. Looking back on becoming the first female board certified urogynecologist in the U.S., what advice would you have for a woman breaking into a Male dominated profession?
1: I think it's just that you really need to be grounded yourself and find, spend time with yourself and figure out who you are because trying to make everybody else happy and trying to fit in with them in the long run is just going to put a lot more stress mentally and physically on your body you know finding yourself can be just spending time in a dark room or listening to some music or or getting that extra sleep and just, just kind of meditating and finding your center and really just discovering who you are and i think and that's not just with becoming a urogynecologist i think that's in any field um, you know any field Women or, or men, anybody, you know, to be your best is really figuring out who you are and what makes you happy and not settling and not compromising and just keep fighting and going ahead.
0: Amazing. Did you have a supportive partner during your process?
1: Yes, I did. My my husband, which I, I met actually in the middle of my general surgery residency, it was nice. I think sometimes, and I'm making a generalization here, but as a woman in a field that tends to be, I guess, more stressful, more like a, like a difficult field to get into. I I found that the dating process was very, very unsettling before. (laughs) Thank God I met my husband because the dating process was very unsettling because I found that a lot of men, probably I was meeting a lot of insecure men had issues with me being a doctor. You know, you'd meet somebody, and it always came up. Well, what do you do for a living? And I was like, I'm a doctor. And I think they felt very threatened by that. So it was very difficult to find a partner that wasn't threatened. And and I, I don't know why. It's the 2000s. You think people would be over the 1950s image of the man having to be, you know, the more powerful or the bigger money maker. But um, but. Unfortunately, there are still people out there that are that are like that. And luckily, when I met my husband, he was an Air Force pilot. And if anybody's known any Air Force pilots, they have to be probably the uh, cockiest people on on the planet. So, you know, when I said I was a doctor, he was like, "Yeah, so what? I'm a pilot." So, you know, it was great because. I we had a very supportive relationship, and and he wasn't threatened, and so he knew the long hours that I was putting in. He was putting in long hours, so it, it worked. It just worked out very well, and it, it's an interesting combination. So,
0: essentially, what you're saying is, if you're a boss babe yourself, you need a boss man.
1: Yeah. yes, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Almost so you can balance each other out and not intimidate one another.
1: Yeah, or someone who's just very secure with themselves, you know, so that they're not threatened by anything that you're doing. So, you know, I think that's the thing is just finding somebody who knows who they are and and I think it works out. So
0: did you have any other female colleagues that, you know, being in such a male dominated profession had interesting experiences trying to find men to match them?
1: Yeah, and it's funny because I, I think d- dating as a medical resident for a f- woman is really difficult. Um, it, it sounds very sexist, but I mean, we're talking early 2000s. I'm hoping things have changed, but I saw my male colleagues. They were dating left and right because, you know, it's the stereotypical, it's st- very stereotypical um, image of they all dated nurses, and you know you're in you're spending all your time in the hospital. There's not a lot of other than the other doctors. There's not a lot of male, I guess counterparts in the hospital. And though I do have friends that dated doctor to doctor, there it always seemed to come up especially when they got married when someone got a job in one city, whose career was more important to go, you know, to take figure out who to take the which job to take. Around the time that I met my husband it was very interesting I was introduced to by to my husband by another family resident uh, family medicine resident who was dating a pilot and that's how I met my husband and then it became this whole interaction where it was a bunch of female residents in all areas of medicine that were then introduced like through us to all these pilots so we know a lot of pilot doctor marriages that came out of that. So it is kind of funny how that all worked out.
0: Amazing. It sounds like you had a wonderful time going through the process of becoming the first ever female board-certified urogynecologist. Is there anything that you would like to conclude this episode?
1: No, I just, you know, I think from what I've been saying is that no matter what you do or who you're with, you need to know yourself and kind of spend time with yourself and to create a wholeness and... And also you need to find somebody that really supports you and matches you and that they should also know themselves. And that's, that's the best way that you're going to find a very, you know, supportive partnership.
0: Amazing. That was awesome. You nailed it. (laughs) Everybody be sure to listen to all four of these episodes with the lovely Dr. Betsy Greenleaf. And there's also a Bonus one at the end where we talk about CBD and skincare. Okay, so in the first episode, we're going to ask Dr. Betsy Greenleaf what it was like to become the first board certified. Female urogynecologist in the US. Yes, the first sports certified female. It's a big deal. In the second episode, we are both going to share how we stay balanced as busy professionals and the importance of holistic health to promote optimal beauty. In the third episode, Dr. Betsy Greenleaf and I are going to explain the differences between a gynecologist and a urogynecologist and also some tidbits of information about. Female rejuvenation. In the fourth episode, Dr. Betsy Greenleaf and I are going to discuss the impacts of CBD on our bodies, where she is going to explain to us in a really in depth way how CBD actually works and some of the latest research that is coming forth in regards to using it, in regards to its use with anti tumor anti-inflammatory and also as a pain reliever and in the bonus episode we are going to have a little bit of an off-the-cuff discussion on CBD in skincare and how uh, you know it's a bit of a fad and you are going to get our two cents on that as to health professionals and how we would suggest you go about looking at CBD in skincare and what to avoid and what to look for and where can people find some of your products
1: if you go to and It'll have a list of all my other websites that you can go to. Um, you and can find your, them. All. That's your real last name. Yes, my last name is Greenleaf, so that's why I kind of felt a little bit obliged to start my GreenleafGear.com. So <laughs> I was like, I had to take care. Of, I had to take advantage of the last name.
0: So. <laughs> oh, that was very uh, uh, forward-thinking of you. Well, thanks so yeah. much for sharing and. We'll chat soon. We're going to actually get a chance to meet in San Diego in a a few weeks.
1: It's gonna be it's it's gonna be amazing
0: (laughs) at Mindshare Summit, which is uh, a top international health entrepreneur gathering. I can't wait to connect with another group of amazing souls. I mean, you're you're wonderful. I could tell right away when we first started chatting that you're just a wealth of knowledge and just wanting to help people. So thanks so much for doing the work that you do.
1: All right. Thank you so much.